thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel Polinski and Eduardo Manteca, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. Welcome back to the Know Thyself Podcast, episode 20. Episode 20. All right. I'm Eduardo Manteca. I'm here with Daniel Powinski. Hello. And uh, today we got a very special episode. Um, this is a great way to celebrate the 20th episode. And we are going to do a breakdown of Star Wars and more so the first trilogy. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We're going to be kind of focusing on the first trilogy from the late 70s. All right. The one that had a great impact. And, uh, you know, we'll break down its origins and many more definitions that either you are aware of or you're not aware of and kind of just take our time defining each of the meanings behind the the trilogy and the story and the characters in the story. And, um, and yeah, just kind of take it away with the very beginning. Um, so Daniel... As yeah. always, let's do this. Yeah, man, no, awesome. Always a great, great introduction. You're right, and it's the 20th episode. And you know what's going to be, why this was so um, important for us, I think, for us to to kind of not so much wait so long, but to kind of publish this episode is because this episode is going to be really great because it's going to be kind of a recollection of everything we've already studied through this podcast and kind of looked at and investigated. And it's also kind of a precursor of what we're going to get into in the future. You know, so these first 19 episodes, we were really kind of just, again, trying to form that common language and um, really kind of lay down some common principles that we can really start building this edifice of knowledge from, right? That really strong foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're creating that common language, which is just really, really important. And so it's really kind of exciting because not only is it going to be a great review for us today, but we're also going to look um, kind of into the future of some of the aspects we're going to get involved with and some of the topics and the occult subjects we're going to kind of look into. And um, yeah, so we're going to just kind of start start digging and really see how deep this rabbit hole goes, um, you know? And so, and again, it's it's our like utmost pleasure to be on this journey with you, to be kind of going down this rabbit hole. And how we're going to kind of approach Star Wars is we're really going to just kind of look at this trilogy as a whole holistically today. We're going to kind of just look at the larger themes and kind of what made it so appealing to so many people and how it kind of transcended um, generations right. at the same time. And then in the future, what we're going to do is we're actually going to go and break down each episode. So like the New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and... Uh, the Return of the Jedi. Like we'll actually go through and we'll kind of take it scene by scene and really see the evolution of what we're talking about today and really kind of look at specific aspects. So today, I mean, we just had so much information just talking about the themes of it. That's how we're going to kind of approach it. And like I said, this is going to be a really good precursor for what we're going to be covering in the near future. So um, I think the best way I've ever heard Star Wars being described was being described as a space opera. And it really is because it's this kind of this majestic, beautiful story that kind of comes together. Um, and that high-tech space battle that is presented to us is kind of merely the, just the fictional vehicle for these esoteric hermetic principles to be introduced to the audience. Um, and for this, 
for the ability to introduce these aspects like it does, it really does stand alone. Um, there are other really good space classic um, movies that kind of touch on this and TV shows like Star Trek and maybe Firefly. Um, but this one is going to just, we're really going to talk about George Lucas really stacking the deck with these hermetic principles and these archetypes and these tying back to mythology. And it really is what's going to make this such a, a, such a spectacular movie, both visually, but more importantly, internally with kind of the evolution of our soul. Um, yeah. I, I've heard people talk about it as, as in, you know, with the hidden meanings and all as like the cosmic consciousness. Yes. And, and I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I know that's, um, they kind of put in a lot of those pagan rituals in there and like a lot of the pagan religion, like, um, again, the rituals in there, but I know that people have, I've said, seen that, uh, when being, um, presented as like this cosmic consciousness yeah. you know, that we'll get into. Um, but yeah, go on. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. Just getting so excited right now. Yeah, no, it's such an exciting topic, man. And yeah, the cosmic consciousness is what we're really, we are going to kind of break that down very soon, because that's going to be kind of really almost what we're talking about with this, this whole idea of this force. Um, but really just what stands out in this in this trilogy, this original trilogy, is really why those movies don't have the same impact today. It's because they're not so dense with this esoteric information, and they're not really calling on these internal archetypes and these patterns within our consciousness that it's like re-enlightening it to us to us and kind of again when we watch star wars and we're seeing this story it you don't feel like you're learning the story for the first time you almost feel like you're re-remembering the story like the story is almost encoded in you and we're going to kind of talk about that um so again this is kind of why disney has not had the same effect which is really fascinating because disney has uh, has made a monopoly on these esoteric symbols and the hero's journey so it's really interesting and maybe we'll get into a discussion of why disney's not approaching the star wars franchise quite like george lucas did with his right. original ones so um so yeah george lucas is really going to stack the deck in this movie so he's like almost trying to like hit a home run because he's going to call upon all the work of carl young um, that was later kind of distilled to a little bit more digestible form through Joseph Campbell. Um, Joseph Campbell made the archetypes and even the hero's journey a much more approachable topic, right? That's why we covered him when we did the hero's journey. Um, but he's really going to do that. And he's going to enter all this information that really Carl Young really brought back into the surface about archetypes, mythology, um, and that internal and external fight between good and evil. And again, that's going to be one of these large themes that we're going to kind of see. Um, and then some kind of lighter aspects, not so much lighter, but, you know, um, different kind of occult aspects, like the aspect of friendship, um, which we've already spoke about. The aspect of friendship has a very high standing within the occult because it's it's such a free will decision, right? Like we spend time together just because we like spending time together. Friendship is this very... You know, there's no exchange of like energy from like a mother through a son or even like in a romantic relationship. A friendship is just like, I like sharing space with you. So it's this really powerful thing. And it's always kind of hold us esteem in the occult. Um, and we're going to see that this, the celebration of this mutual brotherhood and sisterhood, um, the idea of fighting fear and evil together, and at the same time, helping each other up the ladder of consciousness, right? And we're going to see that. And we're, we're going to actually see that develop in between these characters and, um, you know, it's really kind of that idea that like, um, we need to really take a good look at our friendships and, 
even understand how those aspects work and how you really want that individual who's going to celebrate your evolution, you know, be happy that you're a butterfly rather than be like, Hey, why are you not a caterpillar with me down here on the, fo- on, on the floor? So, um, yeah, this idea of facing danger to protect and save a friend and the idea that they'll do the same for you. So there's like really, really deep esoteric aspects that go down to creation. And then there's almost like those social, um, esoteric aspects that are going to kind of make themselves present. Um, so, and really, you know, one thing that we kind of want to approach too with the Star Wars is just the magnitude of the conflict. The, the fate of the galaxy hangs in the balance. Um, and as these occult esoteric students that we are um, and becoming more even aware every day, we find ourselves in almost a very situation. We are kind of in this crossroad between ruin and the stars And it's very important for us to realize who we are and what we are capable of. And that's really what's going to resonate with this story, because the story of Luke is the story of each and every one of us. Right. Um, You know, so it's why we learn these stories. Um, They not only help inspire us, but they also help define us. Um, You know, and it's really about that universal energy that we're going to be kind of getting into um, and the idea of almost that alpha and the omega and the idea that you know, sons were the sons and daughters of that great king in the East, like we spoke about in a few episodes. Again, we just forget it sometimes. And some of us forget it all the time, but, you know, we have to awaken from that slumber and really kind of see what our true potential is. Right. 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 Now, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very happy that we're going to cover each and one of these uh, principles, um, starting with um, what Star Wars is based off of and the idea of the perennial philosophy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and again, the perennial philosophy—that's really going to be this um, this idea. It's this, this idea that this—it's a philosophy or spirituality that views all of the world's religious traditions as sharing a single metaphysical truth or origin from which all esoteric and exoteric knowledge and doctrines have grown out of. Okay, so that's really important. Esoteric and exoteric knowledge comes from the same source. Okay esoteric is just going to be much more concentrated, right? We spoke about this um, earlier. It's almost like less watered down. It's denser. Um, This is why when the Bible speaks meat for men, milk for children, and it's really talking that difference between that esoteric, which is that inner teaching of spirituality, um, and compared to that exoteric, which is that outer teaching of spirituality. And that's really probably more the religions we grow up in, what we see with organized religions. Um, so, you know, again, these this movie is going to be unique because not only is it going to teach us about these esoteric principles, um, but it's also going to give us a really good warning about the idea of fear-based control, the dangers of transhumanism, um, and even take a look at kind of like totalitarian governments, you know, mm-hmm. full control governments. Um, so when we, we're going to kind of look to cover all these topics in today's discussion – um, and, you know, really just kind of approach this subject with the understanding that, you know, this story is very much about Luke, but there's also kind of like a, a hidden story that's underneath that's much, much deeper. And it really speaks just as deep to us as the other one did. Perfect. So, um, well, I've been waiting to talk about this, but, you know, for me... I always described what I'm about to ask as the ether, right? So okay. the force. Yeah. yeah. And, and I want to really um, take a, you know, a deep dive into the force. What is the force? 
and why I even mention it as the ether or the thing that is living and and in and all of us and around us. So um, I know let's let's sort of break that down right now with the force. What is the force? Well, yeah, I mean it plays such a big role in this story, um, and it plays such a big role in our story, right? right? Um, so this ether or what they call the force. It's exactly what you just um exactly is it's it's the, it's the energy of God. So it's universal consciousness. So we're going to hear this as brahma, prana, chi, ki um where we've studied it in in this kind of um discussion that we've had together is this is that first law of the hermetic laws which is the law of mentalism all is mind, right? So when anybody, and again, you know, that's really one of those reasons we really always try to create this common language because there's so many similarities between Eastern and Western mysticism. They just might go under a different name, you know? So you've heard about this energy before with whatever you've studied. Like, even if you've studied just like karate, you've heard about this energy. Um, And that really what it is. And so how Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's kind of the first sage to Luke, describes this information is he explains that the force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's the energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, penetrates us, and it binds the galaxy together. A Jedi, a Jedi can feel the force flowing through them. So this force is everywhere and it makes up everything. So this is the force of hermetic principle of mentalism. The idea that the force that binds everything, and so not only is everything bound together, but we experiencing the force are a part of everything. So we're all connecting, everything is a part of the all, and we're all a part of the one. And one can actually tap into this force and employ it towards one's own will. Um, And this is where we will see in the movie, it's going to be the Jedi and the Sith. Um, and classical magic, this is white magic versus black magic. This is alchemy versus sorcery. Um, and really what it kind of comes down to is this is what good versus evil. Um, you know, and that's really a great way to kind of look at that is, you know, what is the difference between white magic and black magic? Um, the definition of white magic is influencing change in, accor- in accordance to the will. The definition of black magic is influencing change in accordance to the will. Okay. It's the same definition, but it depends on what will. Okay. So one thing you're going to notice in occult teachings is there's a significance when something's capitalized. So a white magician influencing change to accordance to the will is with a capital W and that's the universal will of creation. Okay. And that's so aligning yourself with truth and manifesting almost becoming a vehicle of truth and manifesting truth where dark magic and what we're going to see with the Siths is influencing change to accordance with the will. And that's that lowercase W that's my will, my wants, my needs, um, dark magic, black magic. This is, this is, um, really, um, again, there's some amazing aspects of the new age movement, but this is really sold easily in the new age movement of, you know, it's just about you. It's about this material world, just attract what you really need. Um, and really what we want to do as magicians, and we're kind of going to get deeper into this topic is really aligning your will with the universal will, aligning yourself with truth and manifesting the evolution of consciousness rather than the degradation of consciousness. Cause that's what the, the selfish will does. Right. It's that it's all about that, that me, me, me. Um, so again, 
Not only are we seeing the law of natural, the, the law of mentalism being presented to us, which is a her- hermetic study, we're also now seeing that law of polarity, right? That idea of light versus darkness. Um, and again, this is, this is more shadow darkness, okay? This is like taking the light and turning your back to it and creating a shadow. Um, so that's what we really talk about when we talk about this, like black magic. That's really kind of using the inversion of Saturn, Mars, and sometimes Mercury to um, kind of make selfish ends, right. selfish claims. So, um, so yeah. So again, this that fifth element, this ether that you're talking about, it's not just it's not just empty space influence. It's this influence that's again change that's according to the will. And we, we change the ether with our thoughts. We change the ether with our emotions and we change the ether with our actions. Um, again, this is what is so amazing about spoken words and language. You're literally pushing ether around in the space between us. Um, and it's, so this, this idea of polarity, um, in the force and the idea that there's two different ends to, the, the idea that the force is almost this neutral thing, it's just a tool, and it's what you do with the force is what's going to make it good or evil. You right. know? Is it going to be fulfilling for all, or is it going to be kind of a, a selfish um, explosion? So, um, And what's funny about that is like, I, I think something that you just brought up that we talked about before, um, just to kind of like to give this idea out there to our listeners, but... Daniel did describe this before when you talk about the new age movement, when they describe the secret. Mm. So in the secret, it's like, well, are you really going to use the universal will with the capital W to gain materialistic objects and have things um, for the will of the, the lowercase will? The answer is no. But in this movie, you'll see that Mm -hmm. when tempted with the force, one being for good and one being for evil right away, even if you're a child, you're like, well, it looks really cool to be on the dark side. I mean, right. and it's interesting how, like, if you fast forward away from this movie, um, these lessons will be apparent along the way. So if you start to align with universal consciousness for the right purpose, things that you didn't necessarily thought you would receive, you will. And things that you are trying to aim for, for the, the greater good of your own, selfishness i should say um come at a price come at a cost everything has its cost exactly and i really like that they put that real thick in the movie with the force like right away from the out of the gate they're just like here here's a duality with with the force you know or here's the the polarity from dark and here's you know how it's how it's done um in in a lighter sense so uh, sorry to cut you off but no no what you just said with with the new age movement it kind of like hit me with that where I, you still meet people to this day where they're like well i'm just using the secret to gain everything i've ever wanted like a ferrari and a bunch of other doo-doo things mm-hmm. and i'm like okay <laughs> you know uh, yeah yeah no anyways, absolutely absolutely on. you know and you bring up a good point man because there's a um when we're kind of talking about these movies the empire strikes back is really the the deepest thickest one when it comes to esoteric principles and that's because Luke spends so much time with Yoda um but there is a conversation he's having with Yoda um when he's asking you know is the dark side stronger and Yoda gives him a great reply he's just like no it's not stronger it's easier maybe sexier kind of thing but it's not it's not stronger um but it is, it's easier. It is easier not to be a white magician. Like aligning yourself with the universal will takes a lot of self-study. It takes right. self-sacrifice, right? But you understand that you are a part of the evolution of consciousness which is why we, you know, 
why we have self-consciousness is to push through and evolve the evolution of consciousness as the greater whole. Right. Um, so I think that's a, I think that's a great way to kind of look at it because the dark side, yeah. Anger, fear, and aggression. Yeah. You don't have to do self-study for that. You just let your animal instincts take over. You let that selfishness take over. Um, there's no growth that needs to be to be angry or to manipulate somebody. Right. And maybe right. there's like mental growth to learn how you manipulate somebody, but there's no character growth that needs to go there. Um, and character growth from, I mean, we're on 20 podcasts about it and we've not even scratched the surface of the subject. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, the idea of that white magician versus that dark magician. And, um, you know, we have a great quote here. And again, I'm, I'm reading a lot of quotes this episode. So I, I'm terrible at reading out loud. So this is going to be kind of fun. Oh, no, you're not. Go ahead. But, I'm excited. Um, but um, this is a great quote by Manly P. Hall. And, you know, again, so many of our listeners are always asking about book recommendations. Just you just go down the rabbit hole of Manly P. Hall. He's such a talented yes. occult scientist, writes about every subject. If you if you are kind of pulled to a little bit more of like an Eastern understanding and that's what resonates with you, he's got great material on that as well. But he also studied Western mysticism, just a really good universal teacher to to learn from. Um, and this is what he wrote in accordance to um, a white magician, okay? And the white magician consecrates his life to study, meditation, and service, that he may know the law and may direct force to its appointed ends. He mods himself into the plan, becoming part of the divine rhythm by sacrificing himself and his wishes to the will of the infinite, asking only to know wherein his duty lies and how he may be of the greatest service to the greatest number. Right. And it's just like, put the fist up in the air because that's exactly, that's exactly what the Jedi is going to represent. It's really going to be what Luke embodies. And again, um, when we kind of talk about, we're going to really talk about the evolution of Luke and what he represents, but that idea of sacrificing himself, and that's going to happen at the end of return of the Jedi, where he really puts himself in this, sacrificial role right. um, and it's that action that actually is what the story is all about and we'll kind of as we kind of get into that so yeah again this this white magician is this jedi this wizard this witch this holy individual a prophet mm -hmm. but it's really just the idea of aligning yourself to that universal divine rhythm and directing that force to its appointed ends. So really using the will of the infinite and just asking where the duty lies and how we can be the greatest service to the greatest number of people. And this is, um, again, this, this force is a universal energy and it's how we use and harness this energy and what it creates or collapses the waves of whether it turns out to be good versus evil, you know, love versus fear, but it's, it's a free will decision. It's how, how do we use the force? Um, and so, you know, that's going to be just kind of something that we really, really kind of look to. Um, but it is, we always have to kind of remember that it's this free will decision of how we use this. And, um, you know, this is really going to resonate very well with us. Um, you know, we've had a lot of requests since we kind of mentioned it on the podcast to do a, um, a whole podcast on Lucifer. And again, Lucifer and this Luciferian energy really comes down to free will decision too, of how you use that Luciferian fire, the fire from the gods. Do you use it for, you know, the expansion of consciousness or do you use it for the expansion of the lowercase self and the lowercase right. will, will? And that's really where you have the angel either climbing the ladder back up to heaven and being reunited with creation or 
staying in the pits of hell. And that's kind of where, uh, where we kind of find this. Um, so, you know, one of the main themes of this movie is Luke, is Luke learning the force and how to instill the highest will. Right. And, and I think that's where we are going to bring up the hero's journey and new hope, you know? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. We talk about, um, well, we talked a lot about it. If, if you haven't heard the hero's journey, I, I strongly recommend you listen to that episode, but we do talk about, you know, the breakdown of Luke leaving the ordinary world and going into adventure. Um, obviously there's the separation between him and his, um, uh, his, his parents in this case, you know, um, there's just so much that happens in right. that, in that first moment that kind of like takes us along the way of the hero's journey. Right. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, go ahead and let's elaborate on that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, we're going to really kind of take a look at the new hope and we're going to break down, um, that whole, that whole movie independently. And we're going to go step by step. Um, but again, this, this whole saga, this whole trilogy is very much part of Luke and his hero's journey. And we kind of see the different tiers and we see how, when you complete one hero's journey, another one starts back over, right? Cause like he goes through this hero's journey all the way through the new hope, but that doesn't mean he gets a day off and the empire strikes back. No, like he's now he's up to a new level, a new octave of music, but he has to climb that, that ladder again to get to that higher octave. So, um, Again, it's all about these steps that they take. Uh, and this is just an excellent telling of the hero's journey. It's This movie very much is kind of an alchemical masterpiece of film. Um, and what makes this one so unique is it can be understood by all. And I know we've had that conversation before, but you know, you cho- show somebody really young um, Star Wars, they have a deep connection to it. And you show somebody older Star Wars and they have a deep connection. Even people that you know, like I'm not the biggest sci-fi fan either, but when I, sh- I show it to people and they're like, I don't really like sci-fi, man. I don't really care much about space. Uh, but then they watch it and they're like, that was amazing. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for showing me that. Cause you know, it really does kind of transcend it. But the really nice thing about this, this story is that it could be understood by all kind of in comparison to like, um, Lord of the Rings, like Lord way. of the Rings is going to be the same kind of thing. Like, again, it's approachable. Um, you know, the story's very much there. We can follow the hero's journey. But almost like in comparison to like the 2001 Space Odyssey, oh, which, geez. you know, if you have only an exoteric understanding of consciousness and alchemy, that movie is very confusing. For most people, that movie is very confusing. Now, if you are a deep esoteric student or you're really hungry about this information and you've studied alchemy that might be the deepest movie of all time. Right. And so it's got so many layers, but for the majority, if you put that on a room for 10 people, maybe one person's going to be like, Hey, will you invite me to movie night again? The other nine are going to be like, what just happened? Like he's a baby. You know, they, they just won't get it. And we'll go really deep into that movie because that movie is, yeah, we should break down Kubrick for sure. Oh, for sure. Kubrick will definitely get a talking to because he's a, he is definitely was an alchemical wizard. Um, and, um, Really kind of what we were, um, you know, but that movie, again, on the surface, if you're just approaching it and you don't have this strong philosophical understanding, it's very confusing. Where Star Wars, you don't have to have a philosophical background. Now, if you do, you're just going to pick up more. And that's kind of like what we're doing today. We're kind of going through and kind of picking up certain aspects. But even if you have no philosophical or even an esoteric understanding, you're still going to have this like connection to it. So Star Wars is really a story and a telling of the hero's journey that can be experienced by all. 
So the hero's journey is on full display. So it's not just only the hero's journey that's on full display, but it's also a perfect setting for the placement of the archetypes, whether it be the setting or the other characters for the hero's journey to develop. So um, there's really going to be two storylines that are going to develop in Star Wars. And the exoteric, kind of the outer teaching, is going to be the story of Luke. And when we start off with Luke, like you were talking about in The New Hope, he really is the the representation of that zero tarot card, the fool. Um Again, the fool is not really how we perceive it in the West. The fool, the fool is like this loving fool. It's all about new energy, new beginning, almost an, a romantic inspire for more in life, okay. right? So we've all played the fool card, and we play the fool card again in our lives. But it's not really so much uh, like this, like derogatory mean term. It really just means like new beginnings, like. Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, she's another great example of the Fool card. It's just that innocent energy right before the hero's journey. Okay, so the the Fool is kind of the person you kind of go through the journey with, um, and it's just like the beginning of the story. So it's the start of the story. We watch our Fool journey through this alchemical archetypes to come um, to kind of come, and that he faces in this journey for the stars. And really what this story of Luke is talking about is a very old uh, Egyptian story. And this is the journey from the sun every day, from its birth to its set and its face off with darkness. So again, George Lucas is using these these stories that are imprinted in our subconscious and our consciousness, and right. it's the story of us. Um, and that's why he's going to pull in these mythologies. Um and this is what the character uh, Luke Skywalker is going to be based off of. So Luke's going to be really based off of the sun god um, in the later Egyptian times, which was considered Horus. And Horus would travel through the sky, and he would take 12 journeys every day, right? The 12 steps of Horus. And um, we spoke about this before, but it's always kind of good to kind of react. This is where we get hours from. Right. So Horus, you just switch the U and the R, and that's where we have 12 hours in the day. So it's still this 12 steps of Horus. This is why Luke's name is Luke Skywalker, right? He's representing Horus in this stelling of the Egyptian story of the rising of the sun. Um, and so what happens is Horus is born in the east. He takes 12 steps to face off against Set kind of the god of chaos and darkness. Um, and that's where he's going to have his fight in the underworld with the darkness to be warm, to be reborn again on the other side. Um, so this is why we still, to this day, when the sun's setting, we call it sunset. Set. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so what happens is he enters the underworld, and we have the that process of darkness, which is night, and then he's reborn again every morning, our reborn savior, right? The sun. Um, because if the sun doesn't rise, nor do we, right? right. So he is, the, he is the reborn savior. Every day he makes that journey to face the darkness, goes through the underworld, and is reborn. And that's going to be really, really important. And again, this story is internally embedded in us. Um, and we see the retelling of this story in every culture and every aspect of the world. And again, this is that perennial philosophy, this idea that this these stories are within our subconscious. And this is why mythologies, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, when you start studying deep mythologies, the stories are all starting to kind of 
be similar. So it's almost this internal information. Again, it's that term, that perennial philosophy. It's that imprint of universal consciousness on your soul.、Um, and it's there so you can connect with、um, the information and rise up with that information.、Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, again, it's this internal realization of the universal. And we're going to perceive this through symbols,、um, archetypes, and myths.、Um, So, it's like this universal design or pattern、um, that's imprinted on the framework of our consciousness. It's boundless, it's limitless, it's a pattern of universal expression. And this is what symbols and archetypes are. They're a pattern of universal expression that we can perceive. And this is what he's going to, George Lucas is going to be aware of these archetypes, aware of these symbols, and aware of these patterns. And he's going to utilize them in every step of the way of developing the story.、Um, Even in the aspect of how he speaks about planets and he tells the story of the planets, he tells them in their exalted aspect. Right. So he makes sure he covers everything. And, and a planet loves it when you tell its story and it's an exalted aspect, right?、Um, we were talking about like Saturn when it's in Libra, loves telling the story of marriage. Like it's like, It's the equivalent to someone taking your picture in your fa- your like, favorite outfit with perfect lighting on. It's just like, yeah, this is me. The, the planets love when that happens. And we're going to see that aspect happen through the entire story of Star Wars. Again, George Lucas just understood these fundamental principles. And to really, we have so many artists that are out there that listen to this podcast, whether they're、um, you know, painters, sculptors, or even we have some individuals that make film. These are the aspects you really want to focus on because this is what really makes that story that is relatable and it internally wakes something up inside somebody.、Um, and it's something we really have kind of lost value of or kind of lost connection with. And it's something we kind of have to bring back. And we can see this through the telling of the story how important these aspects are. So,、um, so you know, we, we, we kind of talk a lot about symbols and we've kind of talked a lot about myths.、Um, And we're really going to kind of look at archetypes and the Carl Jung archetypes. And so, archetypes, like we were just speaking of, they're kind of this universal designer pattern. These archetypes are these images or themes which have this universal meaning across cultures.、Um, and we've seen this in people's dreams, literature, art, and even religion.、Um, but, like, you know, one of the interesting aspects is when people get into Dream symbols.、Mm-hmm. You know, like the logo of、um, Know Thyself podcast, that sun, right? Now that's the alchemical sun. But when Carl Jung was going through with his patients and he was starting to find these alchemical symbols and he was doing a lot of research on dreaming, he would start showing people certain symbols.、Um, And it was waking up people to remember certain dreams that they've had. And people who've never seen the printed version of that sun describe, like, no, I've seen that sun in my dreams. And it is, it's part of that universal consequence. So that's why when anybody's ever seen our logo, they might have actually seen that picture before, but there could be an aspect of very familiar, familiarness.、Mm-hmm. And that's something you're going to see with occult art. You're going to look at it. And it's again, it's going to be like occult information where you're like, I didn't just learn this. I just re remembered this. It's the same thing with these archetypal, actually, images that come through art、um, and you come through symbols. You're re learning this, this information. You've experienced it before and you're just kind of reawakening to it and realigning、Absolutely. to it.、Um, 
So Jung's going to believe that these symbols and these archetypes, and even though they kind of came from different cultures, are similar because they emerge from archetypes shared by the whole human race, which is part of our collective unconsciousness. And that's what kind of something you were speaking about earlier. Um, so again, it's this familiar pattern of consciousness that's cross-cultural, and it's this mold or impression of an idea or a theme, and it it transcends race, it transcends class, it transcends everything. It's a universal thing. Um, and it really kind of shows you how quickly that illusion of separation we have that is race and that is class is uh, is not really universal, right? It's We can kind of see through that very quickly when we just see that we have shared stories. So there's deeper aspects that kind of connect us. Um, so again, he's going to talk about these familiar patterns of consciousness and he utilizes it very much in the hero's journey because the hero's journey is really is this archetypal journey. Um, and the characters you meet on this journey are these archetypal or perennial characters. So they, they're there to support and challenge and kind of present the challenges you need to face to complete yourself. Um, and we've kind of spoke about this again in that hero's journey, but these archetypes are kind of like this roadmap as well as an experience in our journey to go within ourselves to reconnect with universal consciousness. Um, so again, it's that whole aspect that we are all just walking each other home, right? Going back to the source, going back to the creator. And not only are we on our own journey to be walking home, but we walk home with our community, walk home as unity because we are the players and everybody else's hero's journey. And that's kind of something we've discussed before. Um, we are pure consciousness experiencing itself. Um, and these vehicles and classifications like the race, class, or sex are just kind of an illusion uh, of separation, but that separation is actually not really there. Um, we're really just part of this whole universal idea, this idea of the force. Um, you know, again, Campbell describes it and as well as young as that many face God. So, not only do we see God in these experiences um, and the individuals we meet on the journey, but we also act as a representation of this God for others. And that's something that, again, we really, really want to stress because you you are on your own hero's journey, but you, you, you do tend good counsel to other individuals on their journey. Sometimes you're that mother, sometimes you're that father. Um, and like in our situation, like we're each other's sidekick. You know what I mean? Like it's always been that way. Um, and it's just that really important aspect to be able to recognize not only your own hero's journey, but the hero's journeys of others. And how do we, you know, give support in that unfolding of that flower and that developing in that cocoon rather than almost like stunting that growth, right. which is so easy for us to do. Um, so again, we kind of play all these parts. Um, and this movie is so strong and penetrating because it covers so many parts of what it means to be a human. So we see these are, archetypal patterns very clearly and perfectly placed in Star Wars. So again, you were talking about the young hero who is portrayed as an orphan. And this is to represent that in this journey, not only because remember Luke's living with his aunt and uncle, I believe in the beginning, right? right? Yep. So this is what this is going to present to us right there. And the, the symbolism of him being an orphan is really going to be looking that not only is he going to be on a journey to find that divine masculine, 
but he's also going to be on the journey to find the sacred feminine. So he's got to find both aspects where in certain stories, you're just like, the father's not around. So he has to go and uncover that divine masculine, or maybe the mother's not there and they have to reconnect with that sacred feminine where Luke is incomplete. He needs to find both. Um, and we see that early on with Luke, like Luke is kind of like in the very beginning of this, he's, he's kind of whiny and he's kind of like annoying. Like he's just like, he's just kind of spoiled. Like he's just, he's not ready. He's very immature. Um, and that's really, it's a great way to look at it because, you know, we, we are all very immature when we kind of start this spiritual journey. Um, so Luke's story, we're going to see this gradual rise and watch there and be with him every step of the journey as he kind of works with balancing himself and again, working to that ultimate alignment of to truth and love. Um, so where Luke's story, um, which is kind of more that exoteric outside story we're going to really be able to see every step of that journey um, and that slow process of the hero's journey where the other story that we're going to kind of conclude with is more of a flash or awakening. Um, it's a reconnection to that pureness or that childlike aspect. Um, it's the penetrating transformative energy and just the true power of true love and true sacrifice and how it can change a whole life's work in a second when it's really connected with and just the overflow waterfall um, energy change that can kind of come from that. So um, all the major heroes journeys are archetypes are going to be kind of be present in this story. Like again, we talk about Luke Skywalker, um, which is Horus, that Skywalker, that orphan that becomes the hero. Um and this is going to really allude to kind of like what you brought up with Frodo in Lord of the Rings earlier, is that the, the smallest individual in a society can take something down like the Death Star or the Empire, right. the ultimate evil, right? Um, and we're going to kind of see that because, again, Luke was an orphan that's going to become this hero, this Jedi Knight. Um, and when we really think about heroes and stories, it's not usually the strongest warrior, right? Like Frodo was... He was a little hobbit with like little hairy feet, right? Like you really start kind of breaking down these stories. It's always that underdog story of, you know, the person that the the darkness overlooks that doesn't think is actually a threat. And that's who becomes the threat. Right. Or also the the way they describe the individual as not necessarily needing to go on that journey. In the case with Luke you mentioned how he's sort of whining and longing for it because he has almost everything. He has the creature comforts, you know, yeah. he, he has what he, he, most people would call like a pretty solid or protective um, foundation or, or protective foundation. But I know that in the stories like Harry Potter or Frodo, they both kind of sort of push away just a slight with the, well, I, do I need to be on this? Do I need to be doing this right, right. now? Like why me? You know, right. there's not so much the longing for, uh, proving a point, right. um, but more so like questioning, well, why must I go on this journey? Yeah. But it's because of, you know, the journey for the greater good. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're right. No. Cause remember Luke meets up with Obi-Wan Kenobi and then he's just like, oh, I got to head back home. Um, and that's when he heads back home to find that his aunt and uncle have been killed. So there's no return for him to go back. Like he physically, the universe was just like, no, you have to go on this journey. It's the same thing with, again, like when we look at Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, like she physically can't go back. That tornado picked up her house and took her to the land of color. Like there's no going back. You have to go and complete this journey. Um, you know, it wasn't like, I, I kind of feel like in Land Lord of the Rings, it was just Gandalf being like, 
an unmovable force. Like, no, you're doing this, Frodo. And Frodo's like, no, there's so many other people that could do this. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, does yeah. it look like I care? You know what I mean? But again, like, look at Dorothy's stats. She takes down two witches and exposes a fraud in Oz. And this is a what you would call like a 17-year-old girl. Like, this is not the person you would think that would take away the two evil entities in a world and expose another false god, right? And she does it, you know? So again, it's that whole story that anybody can do this. And it's a story that's like why you need to go on the hero's journey. And it's the biggest reason when people tell you like, oh, like when you start kind of really even speaking to like what you would consider a woke person, they'll give you that kind of that response sometimes of like, oh, what am I supposed to do about the problems of the world? And you're like, Mm -hmm. well, like, what did these guys do? Like, they didn't think they were going to be able to make any change and they did, you know? So it's one of those major things that they're always kind of trying to wake us up to tell you that you are this hero. Um, You know, it's those angels on the threshold who are always just, you know, just outside of our ear reach yelling awake awake you know right. and it's that call to kind of to do something bigger um so again you know the first thing we have to do is we wake up and we find ourselves then we kind of unify with like-minded individuals and we try to make these changes happen and we try to continue this hero's journey because again every time we go up a level we level everybody else up and that's what's so important about it so um you know it's going to be all these these major archetypes that we were talking about you know like that I guess that unsung hero or that underdog story or that small individual making such a big change, that's really going to be kind of the focus. And they do such a good job displaying that. Um, And then, you know, we have the other archetype, like the villain, and that's so clearly Darth Vader. Right. Um, You know, and he, again, he's that set energy. He's that agent of chaos. He's the oppressor control. He's fear. Um, you know, and one thing they do such a good job in this movie of, you immediately know who the villain is in this movie, just on his approach from the music, from his outfit, from how he walks. How he breathes. From how he breathes. Oh, I didn't even think about that, but his breath, right? Just the unhuman aspect of him as a whole, and even the unhuman aspect of his army, right? Of them being clones, right? And how they all just look alike, there's no, you don't see any of their facial features, right? There's no human consciousness there. They're very much these like robots. Um, and again, he is just this perfect representation of that Saturn energy. And again, how he uses that Mars energy to create destruction with his lightsaber, right? Which right. is the color of red, um, which the lightsaber colors actually have a really, really important significance um in this whole story um so you know we have darth vader who's going to be the villain of the story um we have the sacred feminine in distress with princess layla right with her her white pure robe and she's going to be the one that really kind of connects and works on um luke to kind of call him into action and it's that female call to action because that's what brings him to obi-wan kenobi is the message that she leaves in rtd2 Right. And that's what actually gets Luke to drive RTD2 to find this Obi-Wan Kenobi because she gives him that message. And again, it's that sacred feminine pulling you yeah. toward this occult information. Um, you know, in the Matrix, this was represented by Trinity because who does Neo meet at the nightclub that brings him to Morpheus? It was Trinity. That sacred feminine energy always kind of comes in to not so much enlighten, but pull them towards enlightenment. Right. Right. When they're pull. trying to pull away or at least feel, um, 
some kind of adversity or some sort of hesitation towards their calling. It's like yes. they come right in at the right time. Yes, yes, yes. And then again, it's this is signifying just the distress that the sacred feminine currently is in our society. It was in a really, really tough position in the 70s. And I would say it's in a much, much tougher position position now. Um, you know, and then we're going to have the, that whole idea of that archetype, the sage, um, which is going to be that old wizard, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he's really going to be that hermit acting as a teacher, training the hero. And he's really going to be in charge of the physical training of Luke. Now he's going to wake him up, but he's not going to actually provide him with all the occult principles. That's going to kind of come later in his, in his development. But what Obi-Wan Kenobi is really going to do is kind of train him like he trained his body again, just like how we saw Morpheus trained um, Neo in right. the Matrix, right? So, um, and again, sometimes they provide the hero with a special tool that can be used in the showdown with whatever is standing in opposition to the hero. Um, you know, and again, we just have so many perfect of those archetypes. And because George Lucas had such a good understanding of them, he was able to really exalt them and express them in such a great way. Like even RTD2. RTD2 is really going to stand for actually human creativity and like like um, in innovation is kind of the word. So creativity and innovation. And he's really almost going to act like the white rabbit. Because if you think about it, RTD2 has this really huge aspect on directing Luke. So there's a lot of times like he gets them out of danger because they follow RTD2. Again, RTD2 carried that message to Princess Leia. Like, He's um, always kind of moving Luke to the spot that he needs to be. And he's really kind of showing that human creativity. Um, this is what was represented with Toto and the Wizard of Oz. Because Toto's always on the path. He's always kind of keeping the path on the yellow brick road. And Toto is also the one that's going to expose the wizard. So it's actually funny when you start following that like white rabbit. And that's what RTD2 is going to kind of signify. But when you're rewatching this, really watch out. RTD2, although he has no words that he says, I mean, it only can be translated by C3PO, has a lot to do with the influence and the change that happens in that story right. um, with his placement and where he takes the story. Um, you know, and then you have Han Solo, who's going to be that solo independent, that wild card sidekick. Um, and we're going to even see the evolution of him because he's actually going to develop in, in that hard outside shell is going to soften and we're going to see him actually soften his character through the three films. And he's really going to have this almost this masculine heart opening where he's going to begin to care more, more about people than he does about money. In the very beginning, he's just a smuggler. Yep. Um, but what we're really going to see is kind of this evolution of him as a character into being, he also has his own hero's journey where he really kind of starts to live up to higher aspects right. and kind of have, creates a moral code. Um, you know, and then he really truly starts to care for Princess Layla and Luke. Um, and that's really going to be kind of his evolution. And then, you know, just kind of going through just cause we have to talk about him, Chewbacca, he's going to be that friendly beast that's based on animal guides that he helped the hero on their way. Um, and with another secondary benefit of showing us that nature itself is symbolically on the hero's side. So again, Chewbacca is going to like represent that loyal dog, that loyal cat, that morality also morality There's as a well. A lot of decisions that I know that Solo wants to make on his own that have nothing to do with listening to the inner, um, uh, I guess, conscious 
conscious of 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 the situation um and if you watch the movie closely chewbacca is always like no like you can't leave that one behind or yeah. that person behind yeah and han solo is very annoyed by yeah. that he's like oh come on like yeah just keep going yeah chewbacca and, gets that pack mentality mm-hmm. you know what i mean he's like always trying to protect the pack yeah you're absolutely correct so yeah so again you know chewbacca just represents that that connection with that animal world. And like you were saying, just he really is kind of that moral compass for Han Solo. Cause there is, there's those times when Han Solo wants to leave a situation or leave behind and Chewbacca kind of has that more pack mentality. And he's just like, no, we, we can't do that. We can't right. leave them behind, you know? So um, yeah, just a fascinating character. And again, it's just this perfect explanation of, of Chewbacca and of that archetype. Um, and, you know, it really kind of goes to that whole idea that, you know, we were speaking of that, like nature really is working as a guide. And again, we kind of learned about how nature gives us pain and pleasure when it comes to complete and incomplete knowledge. But we really do see through that character of Chewbacca, that sacredness, um, you know, and a lot of psychedelic experiences, people say that they perceive, you know, they can actually see the living organisms as plants and they can really feel that energy that's kind of there that we don't normally perceive and are sensitive to. But it really kind of is alluded in this story, you know, that nature, nature is the expression of the evolution of consciousness. Like nature is always striving for protect perfection. Right humans are the only ones that stop. Like humans are the only ones that turn 18 and they're just like, oh, well, you know what? I got my job and I'm, I think I'm just going to get fat. You know what I mean? And they just like go on that aspect and they never look to improve themselves after that. Like, oh, I did what I had to do. I worked, I graduated this, I went to this college. Now I'm just going to coast for the next 40 years. Like no aspect of nature understands that. You know, nature is always progressing, is always trying to push the plan of the creator where we kind of stop, you know, a lot of, I mean, not not the individual speaking on this, but as as the most part, we kind of stop. So I think it's really, really important to kind of perceive that idea. And even if you're really kind of like an earth-based sign, like I am, and, um, you know, you do, it's kind of harder for you to perceive those finer substance, but really, I mean, even beyond psychedelic experiences, even if you just like spend a little time in nature, you have this connection with it and you have this appreciation of it. And it is, it's, it's rejuvenating. It, it really snaps you back into what is important. And what it's trying to tell you is just like, you need to keep working on perfection and right. getting to that aspect. So again, the um, significance of Chewbacca is always just so fun. Um, and then, of course, if we're going to be talking about hermetic principles and hermetic archetypes, we do have to bring up the the discussion of Yoda. Um, and Yoda, again, the wisdom, Yoda really is going to represent the true teacher of these hermetic principles. So Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to kind of wake Luke up, um, but he really never has that time to give him direct instruction on the actual principles and components of the force and how you utilize the force to um, make change have occurrence with the will. So yeah, Yoda's going to really represent this, the individual or that archetype that's really going to be able to deepen that enlightenment, really kind of go down and start laying down these hermetic or Jedi principles for the, in regards to the story. Um, and he's almost going to actually give him like almost that Eastern flair of the understanding. And okay. that's really going to be kind of what Yoda is going to represent. So he's really going to be 
really breaking this down to a science. And he's really going to impart Luke with these building blocks of what the force is or these building blocks of creation. Um, and really, he's going to, even in how he presents it, you know, because he's he's going to be the teacher, but he's also very much like that Mercury trickster that we were talking about, like right. how he kind of tricks him in the beginning. And even how he speaks in almost parables, and he speaks like kind of back and forth um, and speaks in kind of a different way is really kind of a, it really what it, what he's trying to do for Luke is he's trying to code the message. So in the process, so they're not only coding the message for Luke, they're also coding the message for the audience because mm. you have to decode what he's saying to actually put it together because he speaks kind of backwards. So what that does to you mentally is it makes you actually rearrange those letters. And then from that, you are already in a deeper stage of reflection that you really process the message where a hero could just say the most beautiful thing in a story, but it can kind of go in one ear and out the other. It's impossible for Yoda to do that. They talk in that code, so you it's misorganized, so you have to organize it. And that process of organizing, that process of decoding, like we were talking about with Mercury last right. week, imprints that deeper into your consciousness. Exactly. So it's almost applying that pressure. Um, and it's also kind of an ode to alchemy, because alchemy very much was a coded science for most of its history, and you couldn't see the true message of alchemy without deciphering the code. Um, and that's still very much today. Like what we're doing today right. is we're deciphering the code of the alchemical archetypes that are found in this film. Um, and Yoda, kind of, he's, he's a great bridge for us into a really great discussion that we're going to have on, and that's going to be about the Kabbalah. And one thing that is really exciting as we're kind of progressing, we say we were going to kind of do some foresight of some episodes that are coming. The Kabbalah is an energy transfer system in Western occultism. This is the equivalent to the chakra system in the East. Got it. Okay, so it's just a transmission of energy. So instead of seven chakras, um, there's 10 sephiras in the Kabbalah. Now, the some of the sephiras are side by side, so it's very identical to the chakra system because there's seven levels. Right. Okay, so again, it's just this repeat. They just kind of break the information down a little bit, and there's 22 different paths um, that this energy, which is the emanation of God, travels through, and through these channels is how we kind of see it manifest in our physical world. So it very much is the idea and science behind this force and this emanations. So we're really going to study the Kabbalah because you study the Kabbalah in accordance to the tarot. You study the Kabbalah in accordance to astrology. You study the Kabbalah in accordance to the Hebrew alphabet. This is why there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, 22 paths of the Kabbalah. So the Kabbalah is this very unique subject. And again, we're going to get a little bit deeper into it, but it's the it's really the occult science behind this force and almost behind this mentalism. And it's going to give us a much better idea. And for the individuals that study the chakra system, it's going to resonate with them very well because it's very much the same information. It's just kind of presented in a different different pa- pattern or different package. Um, but it's all just about that, that flow of universal energy. It's that force. Um, and every sephira, the 10 sephiras, is considered to be an emanation of divine energy, um, or just described as like a divine light, um, which is always flowing, and it's kind of this unmanifested energy ready to, um, ready to collapse. Um, so Yoda, even in, if we look at it, Yod is the 10th letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and Yod, in regards to that, the number 10, is all about the aspect of creation. 
um, it plays a really big aspect on the Kabbalah being that number 10 spot. This is why we do maths in tens. This is why we have 10 digits. We have 10 fingers. We do in everything to the 10th place. It's because 10 is, it really is that building block of creation. It's it's a fundamental building block. So this wisdom that Yoda is going to impart onto Luke is these building blocks of creation or the building blocks of this force. So he's this hermit, this sage that's going to teach these hermetic principles that we said that are kind of very much given in a code, but it's really just kind of representing the expansion and the continuing of the journey of Luke Skywalker. Right. And he's going to kind of have this experience with Yoda. And Yoda really represents the learning of these principles. Again, so Obi-Wan kind of opened up Luke's mind. Yoda is going to train him how to use his mind, okay? And again, a great teacher teaches you how to use your mind, how to think rather than what to think, right? And that's kind of something we want to aspect. And this really kind of alludes to the many teachers that we all have in our life and how at different at times we have different teachers and we kind of you grow from one teacher to the other, and then sometimes you come back to get more lessons from a teacher you left before. But we have many different influences, many different archetypes. That teacher aspect is always going to make itself present, right? Um, And this is really going to talk about where Luke learns the importance of the truth and the importance of his alignment with the truth. So Yoda really kind of sets up the idea that really puts into Luke's face that you are going to have a decision you have to make. The force is really strong in you, but it can either be expressed through love or it can be expressed through fear. Um, And this is why The Empire Strikes Back is really the most powerful esoteric movies because this is the movie that Yoda is in it the most. And Yoda is the full representation of these occult principles. And Yoda is really going to be the one that kind of gives the understanding that the rebellion will be successful because they are standing for truth and these metaphysical hermetic principles and the idea that truth will transcend, the idea that consciousness will prevail. And that's kind of what Yoda is really trying to kind of fundamentally um, kind of instill into Luke. And again, some of the stuff that they talk about in the swamp are these amazing hermetic axioms, axioms, right? Like the idea of do or do not, there is no try. Like again, it's so simple, but it is so important in our own aspects. Do or do not, there is no try. Again, this is a, a hermetic axiom that goes from very, very back, far back, but it's just a great way to kind of kind of take in that information, mm-hmm. right? You know, and then we also have, you must unlearn what you have learned. How important is that for us? I mean, especially, I guess, like almost part of this esoteric understanding in this evolution of your character and evolution of consciousness it's almost just as much as an unlearning process it is as a learning process. Right. But you have to unlearn so much junk that was put on top of us and imposed on us. And still to this day, like when you turn on the TV, you're it's just like, oh my gosh, it's all doo-doo, right? But it's just like, it's a constant bombardment. So you're always, sometimes you really almost put up your defense of what information comes in when you start learning these occult principles. And that's almost bigger than the aspect of taking new information in. It's almost setting up that wall, setting up that boundary in your mind, what actually enters into your soul, what actually enters into your consciousness, which is, which is really, really important. So um, again, this is kind of one of the, the big, big aspects and the big understanding that's kind of 
going to kind of help with Luke's progress. And Yoda's really going to have Luke start to face his demons and really start to, you know, he is that whole aspect of going into the cave during the Empire right. Strikes Back, right? And that's such a, that's just such a huge aspect because that really kind of is the signification of that son going into the underworld to mm-hmm. face that darkness. And again, who he finds when he cuts off Darth Vader's head himself, himself, which is our biggest enemy. So, you know, the idea of conquering our own demons and faults to become the best and the highest person that we can be. And that's all about know thyself and character development. Yeah. And the alignment of truth, as you just said, right. You know, I really do appreciate you. Um, kind of roping those two together, meaning the movie we're describing or the story that we're describing and the parables in it, but the the fact that you bring it back to center with this, which is like the alignment to truth. And I think that that's important to remember at all times because rather than being faced with one entity in like some of these movies or stories, you're faced with multiple and multiple and multiple layers of uh, I guess the opposition of truth. Yeah. And it is your, uh, in your journey, it is, it is your obligation to decipher between, you know, what, what is right and what is wrong, but it's, it's never going to be easy. I mean, that's why I think, you know, just like having to turn a TV on is such a simplistic, you know, act, but it's also like filled with the greatest lies yeah. and it's up to you to know how to decipher between you know, what to take in and what not to take in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, the journey is like happening as we speak right now to all of us. Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very funny how this story is very much an allegory, Um, you know, and we think that they're in such a dire situation in the movie. And then you start reflecting on yourselves and you're like, actually they had it pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, it's just so, so interesting, man. And again, you know, you, we, we're thinking about these archetypes and how perfectly placed they were and, you know, what Yoda stood for, which is, again, is that alignment to the truth, right. the, um, the development of love, um, using it for the betterment of all, really that idea of what a true Jedi is. And then, again, we, we deal so much with polarity and we, we see with the Empire. I was just going to say, in yeah. the Empire, the Empire is a perfect example of what is not... Um, within truth you know you're born within truth the empire is created and i think that is a very interesting thing that we should all always focus on whatever movie you watch or whatever allegory you will find that the opposition is one that is presented to you and has been socially created which is Mm -hmm. why we bring up the social engineers in this podcast also is because it's almost the same thing it's like fear-based it is you know something that is told to you, not something you were born with. You're not born instinctually thinking, I can't trust that person. You know, Mm -hmm. it's quite the opposite, you know, just look at a child that knows exactly where to go and how to feel and follow its true bliss, uh, which is part of the hero's journey, right? Following (laughs) your your true bliss. But, um, but yeah, no, this is a great segue into the empire. So if if you don't, you don't mind, go right ahead. Yeah, no. And again, man, I, I like how you talk about how, um, it's almost like that the empire is plastic. Like right. it's not natural. You know what I mean? Like you can tell it like, you know, when somebody handles, hands you like a glass plate and somebody hand, like a plastic cup or a glass, like a glass, there's like a, a fundamental difference that you feel when you're touching it. You're like, this feels real. This feels fake. Right. And that's exactly what the empire is. It's this plastic 
Saturn idea and the empire is this perfect aspect of Saturn in its worst aspects. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we, we talked about Saturn and how we need Saturn for the construct of experience, but this is very much the celebration of the darker aspects of Saturn with the idea of terror, sacrifice, fear, ultimate control, right? Um, I mean, the Death Star is is literally a planet destroyer, right. right? It is the it is Kronos, right? It is coming back around, and again, Saturn kind of being Mars's big brother unleashes Mars in a destructive fashion. And again, that's why the Death Star's beam is red. This is why Darth Vader's beam is red, right? To signify that Mars energy. And then it's it's really interesting, Luke. Um, in the beginning, his his lightsaber is blue which actually represents that sacred feminine energy and kind of the, the connection he's having to that. And as he accelerates and climbs the level of Jedi, he becomes green. Mm-hmm. And green is is really the color in our electromagnetic spectrum that we can perceive light in is that middle path. The middle path. Right. And that's why nature is green, because it's always trying to show us it's in balance. And that's why when stuff is green, it's in balance and it's healthy. And that was a color that Luke grows into. So he he's very much gets awakened by the sacred feminine, and then he makes up his path. But instead of going all the way to the Mars side, he's going to stop in that middle path. And that's what he represents. And it's a very important aspect to kind of look at. is like how his lightsaber changes as he evolves. Um, and he becomes truly that Jedi master. Um, but again, the Saturn is going to represent everything that the force does not represent. So it's going to, the death of freedom, the death of the free will, um, you know, and even the death of magic, you know, Darth Vader's the only one outside of the emperor who we're going to talk about in a second, who even believes in the force on the dark side. Like there's situations when there's people that are under Darth Vader and they call him out. And again, like, again, he like chokes them from across the room. So you think they would be like, actually this thing might work, but they still, they're like, they think it's kind of like voodoo. And again, what do we see today? Like this occult energy has been used all around us. And majority of the people you talk to about that are going to be like, you're off your rocker. You know what I mean? Like there's Mm -hmm. no such thing as magic. And it very much is this, this aspect. And once we start breaking this down, we're really going to kind of take a look at that because it's a, it's just so funny how they put magic in front of us, but they do such a good job of discrediting us magic in our education system. You know, there's they put it in front of us in entertainment and they love to entertain us with it. But then when it comes down to logical aspects of it, they're like, oh no, though that's that's not for you. You know what I mean? Like just run around and run along and read your history book that we wrote for you, or you're gonna do math this way this week. And it's really just again, it's they teach us how to think. And what to think, you know, I'm not so much how to think I mispronounce, but what to think. What to and, think. Yeah. And absolutely. So, um, and then again, you know, with, with the story, there's always deeper aspects where you believe that Darth Vader is the ultimate villain the entire time. And then as you kind of start uncovering it, we, we come across the emperor and that's where we really see the puppet master, the highest member of this pyramid, um, on top of the pyramid and I think a very relevant aspect, and there's a reason that nobody else knows about the Emperor other than Darth Vader. Right. The idea that the person on the top can't be seen and is not known. Um, I think that's going to be very allegorical. Um, and this is the, he's the deepest aspect of a Saturn sorcerer. Um, 
you know, he's the ultimate social engineer. He's always, his goal is to take away hope of the light and the idea of there being polarity to the force. Um, and he literally lives off of that fear like energy. Mm-hmm. So he literally lives off of this fear energy. Um, very, very much like that movie that came out. Um, I don't know if it was Disney or Pixar, but it's called Monsters, Inc. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they feed off of fear. They feed off of fear. Um, and you know, when, um, again, I don't know, I can't validate this, um, but it's in something I've read that individuals say that the ultimate dark occultist now breathes in the fear of the world. And that is actually how they get their nutrition. Just like how you can sun gaze, they can actually breathe in and they leave off of this fear. Um, and you could just look at, like, just looking at, um, the emperor, they just look like, he looks like death. He looks disgusting. He looks everything you don't want to come become, right? He's that aggressive. He's that full of hate. He's that jealousy. He's that fear. There's no, there's no beauty there. It's death, right? And that's exactly what he is. He's death. He's control. And really kind of, you know, it's such a good warning that there's, you know, you really don't have that control. You right. Know, right. You don't have the control for, for even the fear that is occurring. You know, one thing that I don't want to like jump around too much here, but in the case with Luke Skywalker, even when he starts to sort of play into thinking and, and, and wanting to be um, at least a little bit curious about the dark side, the main thing that lures him even there is that he's still just empty as far as the answers of who his father is. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like the main reason on why he starts getting closer to maybe being swayed to the dark side is that he's like, you killed my father. And the man he's talking to is like, well, there's much more that there's so much more that you don't know about. And it's just interesting how just that right there, you put a pause has Luke losing his balance on truth Mm -hmm. is because he's still, it's not so much a fear because, you know, fear is such a, it's such a, a major word that we can use throughout this entire podcast, but it's it's good to deconstruct it at times. And what what we're saying about the emperor, there is there's only manipulation on his end, one hundred percent. He constantly whispers at Darth Vader, his mm-hmm. puppet, who's also sort of if you learn the story of Darth Vader and Anakin, and we'll get into that later on. He also has a very much parallel life to his own uh, blood relative. And that is that, you know, he, he's an orphan or at least, you know, he loses his mother, which causes him to have a whole slew of reasonings or reasons before uh, to have anger and to have resentment. And there's just so much that goes into it, but a lot of that goes into like you realizing like, well, why is it that in, in, in the end, um, when it comes to the emperor telling Darth Vader to kill his own son, Darth Vader, if you look, you know, he has a moment where he walks into that middle path. And this whole time you're thinking this whole polarity, right, between darkness and, and, and light. Right. But it's like he has to choose. Do I listen to this empty force that we're talking about, which is uh, the emperor or, you know, this pretty much helpless yeah. individual who is his son? Mm-hmm. And I always thought it was so interesting that, like, he ends up 
killing the emperor. Yes. Oh, you did it. That's exactly it, man. That's you know, the, yeah, absolutely. As you call it the zinger, but 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 yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to kind of break that down, I mean, no, that's and that is the story of Star Wars. The stories of Star Wars the exoteric story is the story of Luke and the hero's journey, but the true story of Star Wars is the redemption of Darth Vader or Anakin Skywalker. And the whole story, once you kind of start picking up on that and kind of reflecting on that, makes itself apparent. And when we were talking about how we, with that exoteric story and that story of Luke, we see the gradual changes. We don't think we're seeing any changes in Darth Vader, and we don't. Darth Vader is staying to his materialistic Saturn plan. It's not until Luke, again, he, he brought up a really good point, because Luke knows he has to face off against Vader, because he learns that he's his father during The Empire Strikes Back, right? right. So then, through the entire Return of the Jedi, he knows that that's his father. And he has this aspect of, I don't want, I know I have to face off with this individual, but I don't want to kill my father. It's who I've been looking for my entire life, okay? Um and it's not until Luke becomes face-to-face with the Emperor, and the Emperor tells him, you have to make a choice. You either become with me and your father, and you join the dark side, or I kill you. It's Luke's pure sacrifice of saying, no, I'm willing to die for the Force and to die for the light side. It's that sacrifice of the Son to save the Father. So it's Luke is sacrificing himself. And in that aspect, Darth Vader wakes up because of that sacrificial love energy and it penetrates him, even though he's barely human. Because remember, not only does his, his actions have made him um, this machine-like thing, he's physically mostly machine. There's barely any human left. And that aspect of Luke, the son, sacrificing himself for the father is going to... In- ignite and enlighten vader instantaneously right and that's what's going to happen um and this is what the the largest aspect of that story is all about it's that redemptive factor of love and that sacrifice love can overcome any darkness and this is the aspect of how love works and how it can transcend um and that these there's this that it doesn't matter how evil or how terrible we've been, there's this internal aspect of good, that transcendent power of the creator, that even though we bury it and we hide it and we cover it in dirt and materialistic ideals, it, it's still there. It's still those angels yelling awake. And and Vader has this, this revitalization and this whole re-enlightenment when he sees this aspect and we see him open up his heart, everything opens up for him. And he does, he makes the ultimate move of killing the emperor, which is fear in this false power that he was given. And again, this is a great ruse because this whole thing was a ruse, right? Like they never really had power. They never had any of this stuff that they claimed they did, right? Um, It was only the love energy that was capable for him. And it was him kind of uncovering that. So it's, it's Vader watching Luke accept sacrificing his life rather than to join the dark side. Um, so it's him kind of that, again, that sacrifice love overcoming this darkness and this idea that there is there is always a good within us and that redemption of the father because of the sacrifice of the son and that this trilogy is, is just really about this redemption of Darth Vader. And Luke's going to really act as that, again, you know, because sometimes the male 
works, the male can represent the sacred feminine. Luke's really going to wake up. He's going to almost act as that sacred feminine to Vader because sacrifice very much is that sacred feminine aspect. And he's going to wake Vader out of this materialistic power slumber that he's been in. Um, And this is exactly why the, when George Lucas gets that bankroll to make more movies in the late nineties and the early two thousands, this is why he went back and did a prequel. This is why he went back to tell the story of Anakin because this whole thing was actually about Anakin. Like Luke is a part of the story, but really the story is about the redemptive factor of love on that calcified soul and the idea of using love to break those barriers and the idea that you can transcend that. So it it really gives us from our perspective, such an important aspect of how do we go forward in this fight for balancing the force, balancing this universal energy. And it's going to be through love. And that's how we have to transcend it. Like we're never going to be able to meet them on the battlefield and defeat them. We're going to have to transcend them through love. And that it has to be an internal realization that they have to where that they can actually come to face to face with the demons of this social engineering and this emperor style life that they've created and come to that realization. And then that is when we all kind of level up and transcend. And that's when we get to like start traveling through the stars and like living like we should. I know. Right? Well, so, lo- love um, wins. Love wins. Consciousness prevails. Um, so again, you know, in it's, it's just such an important aspect when you kind of rewatching that, that this really is the story of Anakin Skywalker and the idea that pain and aggression and this fake power is limiting, but consciousness and truth is eternal and it, it will it is the force that pushes consciousness through and it's what we are evolving towards and you either align yourself with it or you, you don't and you feel the consequences. Absolutely. Right? And that's beautifully said. And, and I know that I've seen this happen firsthand with people I know. And, uh, and it's a sad thing to witness. It really is because in the end, if you watch the journey of, in this case, this movie, this sci-fi you know, saga, this, yeah. this, um, this galactic opera. Oh, that's uh, a good way to put it. I, I like that in the end you watch him, you know, redeem himself, him being Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader. But if you watch it from the very beginning, I mean, he ripped away from his mother, taken by prophets, um, that know that he ha- has a very, uh, unique, um, place in, in the galaxy and he must be trained and must be, taught how to lean onto what is good and not what is bad, but it's so hard for them because it's an internal battle within the child, which Mm -hmm. is like, I need to go back to this planet. I need to go save my mother. Mm -hmm. So again, so you can, you can layer all these things and the same thing goes for Harry Potter. You can layer all these movies and, and stories and, and, and this lore with, you know, external, uh, creative like uh, perspectives, you know, whether it's planets or whether it's like right. you wizards know wizards, schools. yeah. But overall, the 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 base principle, the main principle, the foundation is yeah. right there for the taking first and foremost, and they're gonna make it like that for us, so we can allow ourselves to interpret, understand, 
and be able to follow through with that message, you know? Mm-hmm. So as, as we always say, it's like, so I think, so I feel, and so I act. Right. And you, you, you need that. And so I, I know that for those who are listening right now are like, what was this all about? Was this really about the movie that I adore so much? Or is this about, you know, um, a very specific um, breakdown of uh, a way, a way of this, of the story, but it's, it's such an old story. It's one of the oldest stories ever told, right? right? Yeah. So, um, so I hope that in this description or this um, depiction of, of love and hate and the, the power struggles from within um, will continue to aid you in, in the power struggles that we're in right now. Yeah. Right. Um, Internally and externally. Right. Right. Yeah. So. No, I, man, I, I think it's, it's exactly what it says. And it's just such a, it's so applicable to the world we find ourselves in. And, you know, and just the idea that this is, this is a galactic thing. This idea of love versus fear, this idea versus good versus evil. Um, you know, and we can always like get into it, like maybe further down in the road, if we really want to talk about like this whole interference theory and like, you know, this idea of, is there aliens? Is there not aliens? It, it really doesn't matter. But what we do know is this idea between love and fear and versus freedom and tyranny, you know, f- liberty versus slavery, this is universal. Mm-hmm. It goes beyond our planet. Like it, it's everywhere. It's, it's part of the universal consciousness. And it's an aspect that we're never going to get away from. And we just have to rise up to the situation. Absolutely. And we just have to wake ourselves up. And we just have to hear that call to action, like we were speaking about when the hero's journey, you know, because yeah. there is, there is a global call to action right now. And the first step we do in that call to action is go deep within, really get a good understanding of ourselves. And then we start unifying um, and we start connecting. We start making networks and we start speaking the truth into existence and those social engineers are going to be just changing their diapers. Oh yes. Yeah, I love that. It. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Getting away from fear is key. And yes. I think the best way to do that isn't to tell people, but just show them. And, uh, there's actually a very, uh, specific instant. I remember when I first learned about Doug Tompkins. So if you learn about Doug, Doug Tompkins, Doug Tompkins, um, was introduced to me through like the mountaineering world. And he's one of like the first mountaineers out there with uh, Yvonne Schnarr, the founder of Patagonia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the long story short is with their um, great success in, in mountaineering and clothing for mountaineering came philanthropy. And one of the things that I'll never forget that happened to Doug, Doug Tompkins is he gave the people of Chile their land back. So Spain was trying to take in the engineering companies in Spain uh, were trying to mine um, most of the natural resources and these beautiful locations in Chile. And the only people who could really like defend their land were the ranchers that inherited that land. It's an, it's beautiful, beautiful land. And when Doug Tompkins came around, what he did is he bought all that land and they hated Doug Tompkins. The whole people of Chile were like, who are you? You're an American, like just trying to conquer a land. And rather than fighting with him, he just kept preserving um and taking care of the land uh, as well as um seeds he found multiple multiple seeds that are much extinct now but he was able to actually like keep them and preserve them and keep um an uh, ancient information on how to like grow those seeds into the trees and the vegetation that was once there before and in the end right before he passed away he presented the people of chile with their land 
And they were just so baffled. Mm -hmm. They were just baffled. They're like, why would you do this? And he's like, why would I not? It's like, if I didn't do this for you, they would have just taken it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the moral of this like quick little tidbit that I'm going off on is that like fear has taken such control over us that rather than seeing a kind act or seeing an act of greatness happen before our eyes and actually accept it, we were quick to just reject it. Mm. And it took a long time for them to kind of come around and go, whoa, Mm -hmm. you just did this selfishly. He's like, of course. He's like, Mm -hmm. if I, why, what would I need this money for? Yeah. And so what I'm saying is like, it's, it's a tricky balance that even we don't realize we're, we're under the spell of mistrust and we're, we're taught that. And we, we need to start sort of letting go of that and gain grounds for trust again. But I think the best way to do that in the example of this individual I'm talking about is to, to just do the act. And it doesn't have to be something so grand like he did. Of course, this man, like Hardy had lived his whole life and had a lot of wealth to do such a, an act, but we don't have to shy away from a small act of either kindness or of goodwill to show others that love prevails. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's awesome, man. And I think that's something we should always almost end episodes with that it's action is what is the manifestation and the collapsing of waves. And it's so important. We can think and feel what we need to do, but do we actually take the proper actions? Right. And, um, you know, and it's it's so funny because you do talk about like how they, they taught us to mistrust, but what they taught us to mistrust was mistrust your neighbor, you know, mistrust your, even your family, mistrust us, but trust us, trust right. the government, trust the TV, trust your Netflix account, you know, like trust what we're saying, but mistrust everybody else. Oh, they're just trying to get you sick. Did you see that? Did you see that? They're trying to get you sick. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. and it's just like, I don't think they're trying to get me sick. But again, that's, that's exactly what we find ourselves in. And Again, we, we talked about this before, but you don't, you need to row your own boat and we don't attach our, we don't get pulled by anything else, right. you know? So that idea of going in, you know, working on that intuition, really going through that process and feeling out those internal feelings in your gut feeling, you know, because that's something we really want to get into too in future episodes is really becoming an observer of your gut and realizing that, you know, there's multitude of gut feelings and you really almost want to become a scientist of this special feeling here. This is a good one. This special feeling here means this is a bad one. And you really almost want to approach that from a scientific position. And that's something we're really going to do. We're going to get a little bit more abstract in these future episodes, but we're also going to take more of like a scientific approach to steps to utilize these principles that we've kind of laid out. But Again, I mean, we could talk about Star Wars, and again, we are going to go through and kind of talk about the individual episodes, but today what we were really looking at was just what's the overarching theme and why was this why was this show so so popular and has such an impact on generations? And again, we kind of talked about it with, you know, and why aren't the ones that came afterwards as successful? And it's it's because they thought the success was the space battles and the different kinds of creatures. And of course, that was appealing. It wasn't that pulling aspect that wanted you to rewatch that movie. Right. Um, and that's why Disney, I think, has failed so much. I mean, I think The Force Awakens was the most successful one, but The Force Awakens was quite literally just a copy and paste of the new hope. It was like pretty much that same story being told, but instead of archetypes that are getting introduced in these movies, it's, it's just basic characters and we're just, they don't have the depthness um, and they don't have that eternal foreverness, a part of their character. They're very much in the time. Um, 
it's just like how you know sometimes movies don't age well because they just took a snapshot, a snapshot of like what teenagers were like in the early '90s. So then, like when teenagers in the 2000s watch it or later on are like, I don't relate to any of that. Right. It only like worked with that certain yeah, environment. That's, that's kind of like the characters they're yeah. they're establishing today, and it just isn't going to transcend and be timeless like that first one was, and that it was timeless because they were using timeless subjects. Right. Right. Cool. So. Well, we did it, man. This is our longest episode. All right. Right? Episode 20. Episode, oh, and you know what, too? I misspoke last week. I was um, leave listening to the podcast, and I realized that I said Sagittarius was an air sign, because um, I was comparing it to Mercury, and that is fully incorrect. Sagittarius is the fire sign. Now, it is the last expression of that fire sign, and it's the highest order of that fire sign, but I wanted to... Uh, I came to that understanding. I was just like, I like was driving, listening to it. And I like snapped into place real quick. And I was like, what did I just say? Did I just say Sagittarius was an air sign? So I am very sorry about that mispronunciation. But other than that, we really hope that everybody's doing well. We're so thankful um, that you joined us for this 20th episode. And, you know, a lot of these subjects that we covered, we're going to kind of go into further detail in these next coming episodes. And uh, yeah, is there any other announcements we got, Eddie? Oh, no. I mean, I know we will have new announcements. We're going to um, go back to some of our episodes and change some of the audio, change some of the intro music yes, and also oh, good call. And some of the outro uh, to kind of give people more of an understanding of how to reach us. I know that we, we're slowly updating things on the website. Um, we both work full-time positions and you know we're, we're very thankful every time we get to like put our hands on 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 this um this this meaningful um path that we're on with know thyself but yeah the website you'll see continuously evolve so if you go to it now it is what it is if you go to it then it'll be something different so yeah. you're evolving with us and i think that's really such a cool thing because you know we're not trying to hide anything we're not trying to pretend to be anything uh, other than just uh, messengers of of goodwill good faith and and hopefully um a path that we can all like just walk hand in hand on you know yeah just walking each other home this is where i would cue in star wars music dun, dun. i think we'd get sued i think we would get yes. sued so i don't even know but uh bring it on disney exactly <laughs> no but uh yeah i think that's pretty much it with that being said um until next time. Until next time.